Hello and welcome to Becoming Educate. I'm Darren Leslie, and this week I am joined by Professor Rob Coe and Jamie Scott from Evidence Based Education. But first, this episode of Becoming Educated has been supported by UpLearn. UpLearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A levels that helps schools improve student grades and helps reduce teacher workloads. Teachers at over 150 schools, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and Art Schools, use UpLearn to facilitate independent learning, consolidation of classroom material and as a flip learning tool. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote Becoming Educated for 10% off. That's uplearn.co.uk U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co UK. Professor Robert Coe is the Director of Research and Development at Evidence-Based Education. Professor Coe has contributed to a number of influential reports, including the Sutton Trust, What Makes Great Teaching Report, the EEF, Teaching and Learning Toolkit, and the Teacher Development Trust, Developing Great Teaching. But most recently, the Great Teaching Toolkit Evidence Review. Jamie Scott is Director of Partnerships at Evidence-Based Education. Jamie previously worked at the Centre for Evaluation and Monitoring at Cambridge. In this episode, we discuss the following and much, much more. The Great Teaching Toolkit Project, which has followed on from the Great Teaching Toolkit Evidence Review, which was published in June 2020. We discuss how schools can use the toolkit to focus a teacher's professional learning, what school leaders can do with the information they gain from the project, and student surveys how they were developed and what teachers can learn from them. We also explore why teacher learning should focus on one thing for six months or more. If schools want to learn more about the toolkit and its online professional learning project, visit evidencebased.education for more information. And without further ado, let's dive right into this week's episode of Becoming Educated with Professor Rob Coe and Jamie Scott. So joining me on Becoming Educated today is Professor Rob Coe and Jamie Scott of Evidence-Based Education. And some of you may know about that from the Great Teaching Toolkit that was released just last year. So we're going to unpick a little bit about that and also discuss the follow-on from the evidence review. That, And I'm super excited to have both Rob and Jamie with me on the podcast today. So before we get into it, I'd like to start with Rob, if that's okay. Um, could you share with us a little synopsis of, of your career to date, please? Yes, a long, a long, a long time because I'm very, very old now. It feels like uh, so. I started as a well. Uh, it depends how long a version of this you want, but I started as a teacher. Basically, that was my first proper job. Um, but I got into that through swearing. Uh, that I would just never be a teacher. It was a, a hideous thing that I thought no decent human being could ever want to be. Uh, and then I ended up doing uh, sort of ch- uh, coaching, tutoring for kids for retakes and stuff like that and just fell in love with it, actually. Did a PGCE, taught in Manchester, in London, um, and then in Cambridge and in Surrey. And uh, so I was a maths teacher, secondary maths teacher, and uh, then I basically left to do a PhD, uh, which I just thought was a bit of indulgence, time off almost, you know, this is interesting. And then sort of became a researcher without quite having a career plan and did that for a bit and uh, ended up as a professor of education at Durham University. And until, well, what is it now, three years ago, almost to the day, actually, when I, I left that and joined evidence-based education to work for an organisation that is uh, kind of in that space between research and practice. It's about connecting teachers to research, but it's also about connecting research to practice. So, you know, it's it's very much not a kind of one-way flow. It's about an interaction between those two worlds, which I've always been interested in. I think when I was a researcher, my research was, uh, or a lot of it, not all of it, I guess, but you know, was very much with a, a classroom mindset um, at the back of my mind anyway. 
how is this useful to teachers? You know, what does this uh, tell us about the, the the really important questions like how do we help students to learn more and uh, to have better lives and so on? Brilliant. Thank you so much. And, and I love the, what the Great Teaching Toolkit has done uh, to bridge that gap between research and practice and, and so on. I think we're going to talk about later on today yeah. the project that really kind of really kind of closes that gap and supports teachers before we do that jamie um lovely to have you on the podcast as well could you share a little bit about you and your career to date please yeah it's not fair that i have to follow rob co and uh, an illustrious career um so you know i'll keep it short and sweet because it probably is quite short and sweet um you know i um i worked for various education organizations um uh, an international aid charity so i was at an international aid charity before then joining the Specialist Schools and Academies Trust, um, that organisation, which I think is still going, but was huge at, at one point, and um, then went on to do some work on my own, actually, as freelance. And the very, very early days of Teacher Development Trust, actually, I helped out David Weston and worked with him a little bit, um, and then went on to work uh, with Rob at the Centre for Evaluation and Monitoring at Durham University, and we've both been drawn over to evidence-based education by a very enthusiastic man called Stuart Kime and, and Jack Deverson as well, who started evidence-based education in a spare room in Stu's house six, no more than six years ago. And um, yeah, have built it up to what, what it is today with still a small team, but, you know, just a really great place to work, really quite exciting. Yeah, he was my uh, PhD student, you know, yeah. so I, I taught him everything he knows and both of them good. <laughs> Excellent, and you've taken them with you to education, yeah, yeah. and and the work that evidence based education is is really good. So throughout that, we'll we'll link to the to the work that you do, and, and I'd encourage any listener to engage with the work you do. And, and of course, Jamie, you spoke a little bit off air about the podcast you help do the evidence based education podcast. Can you share a little bit about that before we jump into yeah, the main interview that, today? That was just started out as a bit of a laugh. Um, so the first podcast, I think, I had the idea of. Uh, doing a, a desert island discs style thing so and I'm a fan of Alan Partridge so I, the, one of the first podcasts I did was knowing me knowing Ed you do you get it yeah yeah he's just nodding now he gets it slowly there he's um, slow enough we get it <laughs> <laughs> knowing me knowing Ed you aha and then so I interviewed uh, Dame Alison Peacock Jeff Barton Daisy Christoulou and others and the idea being kind of like what were they like at school? And then playing um, a piece of music that reminded them of that time at school in their early days. And then it would go on to kind of what they did after school and then how they got into education and first jobs and um, and then play a bit of music from that time in their life. And then talk about what they do now and where they're going next and kind of a, a song to end it and um, interviewed Rob as well, actually, I should remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of music interspersed with, and then, unbelievably i think the eef had picked up on this and said do you fancy doing some podcasts together so we did and we we were um, good those podcasts weren't they are you not, yeah, are you yeah. not proud yeah. of that work jamie I still, available, still available in all good podcast apps um and then again? eef now have their own podcast and we just carry on doing the, the ebe one so yeah it's um I just started out as a bit of a laugh and i'm still blagging it now Oh, brilliant. Love that. Love that. I just got me racing back to thinking what I was like at school. Um, yeah. And I probably, I think the, the day we caught the train by Ocean Colour Scene is probably the one. Right. Good one. What song yeah. that really picks out for, for me. I don't think it was, even, I think it was released before I was even going through school, but I can remember well, playing it an awful lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting stories, you know, so Daisy, we spoke to her, you know, she'd been on um, University Challenge. She was of team course, captain yeah. for Warwick, I think, and they they won that year. Daisy was captain, and you know, just some really and lo- lots of people have got a really good backstory that's quite interesting, and that's what that was sort of trying to do. You know, it's amazing the the kind of um, how we all come to come to the same space yeah. in education, yeah. but we all have some fun varying some some uh, varied backgrounds. But um, thank you so much, both of you, for for introducing yourself, and let's get into the meat and bones of, of today. So the Great Teaching Toolkit Evidence Review came out to us quite over a year ago now, like a year and a bit ago. June 2020. Yep. Um, so for that, um, can I ask Rob, to can you summarise for us the Great Teaching Toolkit Evidence Review in terms of its four dimensions and 17 elements? Okay, right. You've put me on the spot now. I have to try and remember all the, the details. Yeah, so I mean, it, 
I suppose the origin of it was partly in uh, an earlier report that we'd done for the Sutton Trust, What Makes Great Teaching, which did come out in 2014 and, and been quite uh, influential, I guess. A lot of teachers, I think, had um, bit, found it really useful. And five years on, I think we've started having conversations, well, maybe we should update because there's new research and new thinking and so on. Um, and maybe just good to have a fresh look at it. And then as I think as we started to think about it, we realised that um, just a document was, wasn't going to change the world. You know, it's important to have a document like that. It's important to have something that's clear, that people can go to, that they feel is authoritative and helps teachers and educators, school leaders to really understand well what it is that does make great teaching. You know, what is it teachers know? What is it they believe? What is it they do in classrooms? Uh, that actually makes a difference because, again, you hear a lot of claims about things, well, this is important or that's not important or, um, you know, it's all got to be phonics only and nothing else or it's got to be direct instruction, nothing else. And the world, of course, is more complicated than that. So, uh, but, but trying to set that out and say, well, what does the evidence say? And there is a fair bit of evidence. So we tried to look at all the evidence that we thought was worth looking at, which is a colossal, uh, task really and uh, there are lots of these you know helped by the fact there are lots of, of models already that other people have used there are um, various instruments classroom observation instruments have, have got their own models and various theories and so on um, so part of it was thinking well should, you know there's, there's plenty of models here is it really helpful to create another one <clears throat> but what we wanted was was something that in a sense we could use as the basis of all the other things that we then thought, well, we need to do, which is about um, uh, supporting teachers in learning these things. If these things matter, well, then teachers should have an interest in in being able to do them or being able to know them or getting better at them. Uh, And how can we help teachers to do that? Well, having this structure, if you like, it's a kind of like a curriculum. These are the things you need to know. Um, and since then, we've created a whole lot of courses and, you know, um, good support uh, for teachers to learn all those things. And also part of that um, original vision were feedback instruments so that teachers can get good insight into what these things mean and how well they're doing them in their own classrooms. And again, we've started work on that and, and you know, we can say more about that. But the, the review was essentially taking that research evidence and saying, um, how can we um, present this in a way that makes it simple to understand and, and get your head around? And we ended up with these four dimensions. Four is a little bit arbitrary. You know, it's not a special number. It's not, we could have done it with three. We could have done it with five. Um, but but four is a good number. And I think the narrative around that is also, that's part of the reason. So the, the first one is about subject knowledge, essentially, or knowledge of the content. And that is knowing the the material you're teaching. So for secondary teachers, that's like knowing the subject, <clears throat> the primary, that you know, the content that's appropriate to the age, I guess more so. And, you know, special schools, again, that was, that's different. But the principle is that whenever you're teaching something, you do need to understand it quite well yourself. You also need to understand how students learn it. So the kinds of misconceptions that they typically have and the the sequencing and so on, you know, they need to know A before you can really teach them B and that kind of thing for uh, hierarchical uh, content subjects. Uh, So that's basically dimension one, uh, knowing the content. Uh, Dimension two is about the classroom environment, which means the relationships that exist and the values in the classroom. So the values around things like motivation, students' motivation, and um, uh, their goals and, and challenge, you know, high expectations, that kind of thing, uh, and relationships of respect between teachers and students, between students and students. Um, so, yeah, classroom environment, that really matters. You have to get that right. Uh, number Dimension number three is about basically managing the classroom. So classroom management as we know it, and we frame that in terms of maximizing the opportunity to learn or the time on task because well partly because that's well supported by research but it's also a a kind of obvious way of framing it that you know if you have an hour's lesson then if you can get an hour of that time to be spent in learning activities well that's fantastic because in practice that's quite hard to do actually You, you tend to lose time 
and and in a lot of classrooms you lose quite a lot of time actually or for some students in, in many classrooms and so if we can reduce that amount of time lost either by having really kind of slick transitions between activities really good routines so students kind of know how to go move from one thing to another um, and obviously managing behavior so we're not losing time to disruption and those kinds of things losing focus and, and time on activity and you know that's that's more of an issue in some schools than others obviously but in actually in all schools there's the potential to lose time for different reasons so that really matters and then the fourth one is is the kind of big instruction stuff uh, activating hard thinking which is really what teachers do when those other things are in place you know if they already know the content if they've created a good environment where students are ready to learn if they've managed the classroom successfully so that they're um, using that opportunity as well as they can, well, then it's down to them to, to structure ideas and to present, to explain um, new ideas and procedures and so on, to use questioning, um, to uh, embed that learning and so on. Um, I've missed out one there. I can't remember what that was. Uh, interacting. So feedback is another one embedding the learning through reinforcement practicing um, and then activating which basically means the kind of metacognitive getting learners to take more control of and, and monitor their own learning so that they they can regulate themselves better and you know that's all teachers would read that and say yeah that's what we do so in a sense it's um it's a bit motherhood and apple pie but i think if you read the the uh, review which obviously you have done i can tell uh, there are some surprising things in there I think and some things that make you think oh that's interesting I haven't quite thought of it that way or uh, you know is that really right and when I do talks on it I have a quiz which is um, just because if you know me at all you'll know that I like to use a quiz to catch people out and, and kind of trick them into giving the obvious answer and then say aha I'm glad you said that because it's wrong and actually so I think there's there's a lot of scope for um uh, teachers to do a lot of thinking and discussing about if you like the theoretical um, underpinnings of what teaching and learning are about mm. um, so think a good example is something like differentiation you know what does that mean is it a good thing well some kinds of differentiation are good some kinds are bad uh, so when is you know what are the good kinds and when when do they work and why are they good you know so it's not there's nothing about recipes here. No teacher can ever be told, right, well, as long as you do, you know, steps one to five, you're going to be fine because they get to step one and some kid, you know, comes in with a, a with an unexpected response. Well, then what do I do? And um, that that comes with a lot of expertise, which comes with a lot of experience. But one of the things we know about experience is that uh, some experience is worth more than others. So um, experience where you're also getting good feedback is worth a lot more than experience where you're just repeating the same things and not really knowing whether it's working well or not. So feedback is also one of the key agents of um, of, of the Great Teaching Toolkit, that the more we can bring these things uh, into focus through really clear, actionable feedback for teachers, the more they understand their own practice and they'll be able to see whether what they're doing is improving and so on and and learn from the, the practice of doing it and also support each other effectively. So feedback is a tool. Uh, feedback tools are uh, a, a core part of supporting things like coaching relationships with other teachers. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful summary. And, and one question I do have to ask about it, something that, that kind of strikes me in terms of how you've laid out the four dimensions. It's almost like the first three underpin yeah. good classroom but it's the fourth one that really separates great teaching. Is that how you thought about that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, about how they, um, you know, what do we know about the interrelationships between these things? And I think if you say, what do we know from research evidence? The answer is not very much at all that's really useful, I think. So the things that are best evidence uh, as being uh, observable characteristics of classrooms where students are learning most are things like the classroom management side of things. Now, does that mean classroom management is the most important thing? I'm not sure it does. I think it means that it's one of the most visible things. Mm -hmm. 
So research studies can easily pick it out and therefore it sort of, you know, stands out. Um, I also think it's it's a kind of prerequisite um, hygiene factor, if you like. You know, if, if you're struggling with managing behaviour, then it's not going to matter too much if you're really great at explaining hard ideas or asking good questions you're not going to get the chance to do that are you if if the kids are climbing up the wall so you do need to sort that first but I also think it's the thing that most teachers get good at anyway so you know if you think about your experience of learning to be a teacher when you start out or certainly mine some some teachers kind of come into it fully formed and they're great at classroom management on day one I hate those teachers because that wasn't me. I was terrible at it for years and it was very painful to learn how to do it. In fact, I still don't think if I had to go back in the classroom now, I, you know, I'd be sweating just at the thought of it because it was always challenging, um, that kind of classroom management. But the good thing about that is you do get lots of good feedback. You know, if kids aren't doing what you want them to do, you generally know. Uh, and if they are, you generally know. So, because I think that's one of the reasons why in the first two or three years of teaching, most teachers get pretty good at classroom management. Whereas, as you say, the kind of the core, the, the, the stuff that's really the, the heart of great learning, which is the structuring, the um, explaining, the questioning, the uh, interacting, you know, those, the, the um, how we present material, if you like, present ideas and get, get youngsters to understand them. That's actually much harder to get good feedback about. You know, I'm looking at you now and you're nodding at me and I'm thinking, yeah, he understands what I'm saying. But sometimes you get that nodding and and it's, Mm. you know, they don't really understand. Um, And, you know, teachers will do things like, does everyone, uh, everyone okay with this? And the kids think, right, well, what's the choice here? If we say no, he's just going to go over it again, isn't he? And, (laughs) and, um, you know, he's going to ask me, well, why, what don't you understand? And, you know, I'm going to feel miserable. So, just, just you know, humour him and say yes. So um, actually genuinely getting good feedback about whether the way you're presenting ideas and explaining and giving feedback and so on, whether it's really um, helping students is very difficult, I think. Um, and I, I don't think students often tell their teachers. Um, the research on feedback is really interesting. You know, most of the, uh, the majority of times when teachers think they've given feedback students don't even recognize it as feedback or if they do they don't interpret it in the way that the teacher intended that's like about two-thirds in in observation studies I can't remember the proportion it's something like two-thirds of all the feedback that teachers think they've given is either not recognized as feedback or not understood in the way the teacher intends it so actually although feedback is very powerful mostly it doesn't work and yet teachers don't know that you know you think oh i've explained this i've given feedback i've written the comments on that piece of work or um you know given feedback orally or whatever we've done whole class feedback that's become a fashionable thing hasn't it it Um, certainly has but uh have the students actually heard received and understood it i think often not how would we know no certainly it's a great distinction i think um the, like I observe a lot, I teach it, and it's easy to pick up on the behaviour management, the classroom routines, yeah. um, but it's far more complex to kind of understand if the, if what the, if their explanations are getting yeah. through to all the students. You know, if you've got a class of thirty students, you know what are they all taking in, and um, as you said, the, the feedback that you give them. Some people can react to the feedback and act upon it. Some people are just still confused, and it's yeah. fascinating what you say. There's so many classrooms and I do it myself all the time right does everyone understand what we need to do and then you just get the tumbleweed and you go oh what you pat yourself on the back I've got a great job (laughs) but actually we don't know so you mentioned during that that um the great teaching toolkit the evidence review and the the dimensions is almost like a curriculum so what I'd like to ask you now is is that the review was just the first step in the great teaching toolkit project can I ask you both, where are you now with the project? What's the next step? Yeah, Jamie, why don't you have a go at that? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that um, evidence review in June 2020, and that really we think of as, you know, there was, I don't know, you were probably working on that properly, as in thinking about it and writing it and coming at it from all angles, Rob was, and the team for almost a, a year, but actually it was a culmination of many, many more years' work, wasn't it, Rob, and kind of what you'd been thinking about. And so that evidence review in June 2020 became our anchor point. Okay, well, 
if this is the framework and it was really i think of it as a meta a meta framework you know in in review in coming up with that model for great teaching robert looked at um Rosenshines, which is obviously very popular, the early career framework, but many other frameworks that people don't know about. And that, for his money, was kind of the thing that we should be really focusing on. So that gave us literally the focus to say, right, well, we'll create materials and tools that can help teachers get better in these areas. So then started a process of, and we always start with the evidence. So we had the evidence then, and um, we started creating courses um, on explaining, embedding, structuring, um, so going to work on those, but also Rob's work mainly in that time after the evidence review was around the development of student surveys. So student surveys aligned to those dimensions and those elements, courses then aligned to those dimensions and those elements, working with some of the sort of leading people in, in those areas. So uh, Tom Bennett, for example, around managing um, uh, opportunity and uh, maximizing opportunity to learn and uh, creating a supportive environment. and and coming up with, again, following the evidence, because that's always what we do. How do you create courses that help teachers to get better in these things that include the conditions that we'd normally have for students to learn hard things? You know, it's sustained over time. They can practice um, many, many characteristics of how students learn. The same things are required for teachers. So how do we build that in? You know, there's retrieval practice, for example, within our courses on what's what people have been learning and it's spaced and all those kinds of things. So really, it was just having gone as an organization from being quite well known for uh, the assessment lead program and assessment mm-hmm. essentials. So two online courses, one of them being two to three terms, um, you know, highly collaborative, based in your school context um, with a lot of online learning. We then now have a, a 11 courses that we released in um, September, 11 courses, uh, a platform that we had built to house all of this Um the surveys that Rob and the team have produced having, I mean, the thing with surveys, it's just, like, oh yeah, there's a survey. Some people have thrown some questions in there. Actually, you know, that is huge. You've got to trial all of the surveys, all the survey items. Rob then needs to work out, well, which of these questions are actually any good. And that's all done through statistical analysis. Which ones can you get rid of? Which ones you need to ref- refine and improve? And, um, you know, you've got to ask students those questions and you're going to ask them more questions than you ultimately need to ask them to find out what are the most efficient set of questions that you can ask them so you get the most reliable information in the shortest amount of time. And actually, you know, the story there is doing it all through a pandemic. You know, there were hardly any students in school and obviously people had a lot to deal with. So New Zealand at the time was where there were a lot of schools open and we were lucky to have a good network of people that we know in New Zealand. And that's where a lot of the trialing for the student surveys happened. I think we had like 1500 student responses to the surveys. So, you know, there's, there's a, we haven't, well, not you'd expect Rob Co just to think these are good questions. I'll put these in, you know, they've been properly trialed and validated um, before we put them in to what is now the first iteration, Mark one, if you like, of the toolkit, which released in September, there's, I think, uh, up to 11,000 teachers have access to it. So courses and feedback tools housed in a platform that help you to plan your development is where we're at now. But with more developments to come, I don't know if Rob will tease us at all, but he's been looking at cult, uh, leadership and, and school culture. And there's probably going to be another interesting report that might ruffle a few feathers coming out in not too distant future. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to say something about that? I don't, I don't know, know if we should. But I think we should have agreed no, we can, say no. anything about that or not. Let's leave it there. There's a little teaser. Oh, okay. Well, Darren's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exciting. I'm very much excited to, to read that. I, I love reading, reading your work. So thank you for that little teaser. I'm going to get really excited about that. Um, you mentioned there quite a bit about the surveys. Could you explain yeah. for, for the listener, what, what, do you, what are these surveys and then what are they used for? I'll say a little bit and then I think hand over to Rob because it's a bit like, I don't know, um, me asking someone else to describe my children. This is Rob's baby. You know, this is, he would describe it the best way possible. But I love them all. I, I do the, the kind of the layperson's version of this, I think. Um, so, what I think is most exciting about this and what's really interesting is when we think about how do we decide what teachers should spend very valuable time on in terms of their professional learning? Well, perhaps teachers would go, I think I should work on this. Um, and so, you know, can I can I do this course or whatever? Or you um, you have some sort of teachers maybe 
choosing something that they're interested in. There's a whole number of factors, you know, there's statutory requirements, whatever it might be, or it's leadership going, um, well, these are all priorities for a school. Please do this. Or I strongly recommend that you do this. Um, or I've been in and see some of your like 20 minutes of your lesson. And I think you should do this. Um, the big gap there, isn't it, is um, the people who spend the most amount of time in the classroom that have the m- most experience of uh, the classroom environment and teaching practice are students. Hey, you know, m- maybe there's something in that. And, you know, what I've come to learn through what, what Rob has done is that asked the right questions in the right way, actually students can provide us with very reliable information. And there's work that I've come to, to know about through the Gates Foundation that uh, the work they've done in the Measures of Effective Teaching project that student surveys can provide as reliable information as peer observation, uh, classroom observation, and if not more reliable. So um, it's not about asking um, students whether they like the teacher or whether they like the things that the teacher does. You know, it's about removing as much bias as we possibly can and about asking questions that are really sort of statements about whether something is happening in the classroom or not. Um, and so these student surveys can provide um, confidential feedback to a teacher about the kind of classroom or the perceptions of students about classroom environment and practice in these areas of the model for great teaching. So, um, you know, maximizing opportunity to learn, understanding the content, those areas. And so you can get information that's private to the teacher that just is another type of insight, isn't it? it? It can help them decide, well, what should I do? And actually, not just decide what do I need to get better at, but God, I've, I've actually come out quite well there. That's, you know, that's really kind of encouraging and I'm quite kind of motivated by that. Uh, I seem to be quite good in this area, managing um, the classroom environment, time on task or whatever it might be. But actually this points to maybe I could work on questioning or whatever else it might be. And then over time as well, it can help me to see if there's been any change in that. You know, you don't just, it's not a a one-off event where you you do it. So it can inform the direction you take for professional learning, but then it can also help you to see what change there's been. Um, Yeah, I don't know what else Rob would put to that. I think that, that you've, you've covered every aspect of it there, Jamie. That's, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it started out as a as a kind of measure, measurement challenge, I think, to really, mm-hmm. begin, uh, uh, as Jamie said, the, the measures of effective teaching project and, you know, student surveys was one of the methods they used and there's a fair bit of evidence. So, uh, and it's quite an easy thing to do because it's just a survey as opposed to trying to create observation instrument of observation protocols that are really genuinely valid there's more judgment required most of the ones that have been used in research require quite a lot of training for people to use them well and so on so this seemed like a a good place to start but I think it's um you know one of the things I've learned from the process of developing it and, and speaking to the teachers who've used it is that they very much see it as a as a kind of student voice opportunity. It's about hearing what do the students think about um, their experience. As Jamie said, it's not that, you know it's not do you like this and that kind of thing, but it um, it does. I think most teachers who've done it have found there's something surprising in what the students yeah. say. And that for me, that's a kind of test of is is there information here? Because you know if you do a survey and it just tells you everything you knew already, then nothing's changed. But if it tells you something that you're surprised by well then there's something to think about yeah they are the biggest stakeholder in teaching and learning you know and there's probably something you know the challenge is there and i think that's what's great about working with rob is well why not let's see if we can do this and do it really well and he will prove that it can be done yeah i mean it's a scary thing if you're um you know kind of putting that power into the hands of your students to say uh that they think what you're doing is great or actually no they think it's not great um and so yes it's confidential that's that's part of the thing if you sign up to do this as a teacher you get that feedback it doesn't go to anyone else you can choose what you do with it Um, we very much encourage you to share it with colleagues and and use the expertise that's around you collaboratively to um, help you understand it and work on it and, and do that together with colleagues and so on and I think it's it's quite unlikely if you're not doing that, you're quite unlikely to really be able to benefit from it. But, um, you know, it's it's certainly not going to be given to school leaders or mm. uh, to be used as any kind of performance management or anything like that. So that's a really clear 
um, hopefully really clear throughout the whole process that we are trying to evaluate the quality of what's going on in classrooms. We're trying to help shine a light on that, mm. but we're not doing it in any way that has any consequences attached. Mm. Not that that stops it being scary. You know, it absolutely does because one of the things about teaching is that your whole identity is invested in this thing you do all day. Um, the, the, the kind of dependency that these, the children have on you. Uh, you feel that very strongly. You know, it is your identity. Being a teacher is is who you are. So for somebody to come along and say, well, you, you think you're quite good at this, but you're not as good at it as you think you are, uh, it's going to be hard. It's hard to hear. Yeah. There's also, though, the other side of this, which I think sometimes we focus on um, too much or it just comes out in our conversations, is great teaching is happening every single day, mm-hmm. you know, in schools throughout the land. And actually here's another way of finding it, you know, student surveys and where it is, you know, and it's just one source of information, but here's a way. And Rob, you know, when he was describing this whole sort of vision for it is, I think um, you described it to me as we hope to be able to use this information. If people are willing to share it, you know, if you've got a way of finding this really good practice or someone who is particularly good at explaining in the school, and I'm not very good at explaining, but you are Darren and like the surveys, you know, the students even sort of, you know, their indicators suggest that you are, well, it starts to create a kind of um, self-sustaining, self-supporting system of improvement because great teaching does happen every day, every mm-hmm. single day, hopefully in every single school um, in the world. You know, yeah. and that's part of it as well is is shining a light on this. Yeah, thing. and often those great teachers are not actually really known. I mean, I, you know, um, uh, certainly the schools I worked in, some of the um, – and I actually then, when I did my PhD, I ended up doing research in some of the, the schools that I've worked in and um, some of this was looking at value-added data and so on at, at teacher level. And some of the teachers that had been my former colleagues were just astonishing in their impact on the student learning, according to the data, you know, the, the value-added scores, if you like. And um, I don't think anyone in that school knew that. You know, they, they thought, because they were quite, a, it was one particular department who kind of kept themselves to themselves a bit. They were quite traditional, you know, they... They uh, made the students work quite hard, which they tended not to like so much. So they weren't really very popular. They were seen as a bit boring, really. Um, and yet their their exam results were off the chart. You know, they were astonishing and consistently every year. Um, so I think there's a lot of really fabulous teachers out there who are not really recognised mm-hmm. as being experts Um so that's that is definitely one of the things. And I think, you know, I was talking about feedback earlier. If I learn from these different tools, we've got the student surveys, but we've, we'll have later on, we'll have observation instruments as well. And we'll have self-assessment and all sorts of stuff. Supposing that adds up to telling me, actually, I'm not very good at giving feedback. You know, the, the students say, you know, I think I give great feedback, but they say they don't ever really understand it and it doesn't help them to learn. OK, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm, I'm probably a sensible thing to do is to find someone who is good at giving feedback and go and watch, see what they do or talk to them about, you know, let them come and watch me. Generally speaking, I think uh, there's, again, a lot of enthusiasm for coaching. Sometimes people put the word instructional in front of it as if there was any other kind. I don't know. But anyway, this is another fashion. And it's a good thing, actually. It's not a bad fashion, uh, except that I don't quite know what it means. But I suspect that it depends a lot on the expertise of the coach. 100%. And one of the things I would want from someone coaching me is to know that they can really do this thing themselves. You know, if I'm looking to improve my golf swing or my, uh, you know, bowing action on the violin or my, my chess openings or whatever it is, I, I'm not going to go to a coach who's no better at it than I am. You just wouldn't do that. Would you? Yeah, you wouldn't. Why do we in teaching, we think, Oh, well, we just put people into groups and they can sort of coach each other or, or the coaching role is for the senior leader who's got that job, not because they're an expert practitioner, they've got that job, well, you know, for whatever reasons, so don't don't draw me on that one. But, you know, it's not usually because of their exceptional pedagogical skill. This episode of Becoming Educated has been supported by UpLearn. UpLearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that helps schools improve student grades and helps reduce teacher workloads. Teachers at over 150 schools, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School 
and art schools use UpLearn to facilitate independent learning, consolidation of classroom material, and as a flip learning tool. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote Becoming Educated for 10% off. That's uplearn.co.uk. U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot U-K. Certainly, and such an important point to note there about there are so there are expert teachers in our school that we just don't know about. Oftentimes, yeah, I think I've spoken before in this podcast. Oftentimes, it's the it's the grumpy old teacher in the corner, but you only see them being grumpy at lunchtime because you've maybe drank their drank out, out of their mug. But um, <laughs> yes. actually, when yeah. the when the classroom doors closed and they're with their thirty students. Magic, yeah. magic happens, and we yeah. can learn from that. So yeah. it's put, and also going back to what Jamie said earlier, another great point from that was that the students are our biggest stakeholders. So if if we, if they identify for us an area for improvement, if we go about improving that, then it's only going to benefit them, and that's the most important thing that we do as teachers. So moving on then about the the, the students do these surveys. And the teacher gets the feedback. What then do the teachers do with that information or what can they do? Yeah, well, I mean, there's yeah, no yeah. prescribed model, is there, of mm-hmm. using this? So the great teaching toolkit someone can pick up and is too scared to use surveys and doesn't use the surveys, and that, that, that's fine. When I speak to schools, there seems to be, in my mind anyway, two kind of ways of implementing what is available here. Uh, there's kind of total teacher autonomy. So you with the evidence review and the model for great teaching, you have a framework within which kind of everything in that framework is worth focusing on. So a senior leader is like, okay, well, I'm quite happy for a teacher to choose whatever it is they want to work on because all of it is important. And so you can give over this um, autonomy, which hopefully leads to kind of improved motivation and desire in terms of self-directed CPD. And someone can choose to use the surveys or not if they're feeling brave or they can just choose something to work on. Um, and I think a sort of slowly, slowly, softly, softly approach is, is fine. Um, and so they they might just use it to decide what it is they want to work on. The other kind of approach that, that leaders seem to be taking is, well, we've got some priorities in our school. Um, behavior is one and kind of time on task. We would like everybody in the school to do uh, maximizing opportunity because one of the great things that comes of the framework is this common shared professional language you know we all start to talk about the same thing and we we start to understand um the same thing we have a shared meaning because it's articulated it's defined through this framework and we're building conversations around it and then everybody does this maximizing opportunity to learn or, or whatever and at the same time they're all discovering the same things and talking about the same things in the same ways and that's really good and thereafter senior leadership might say great thanks for doing that and you know, you go through this um, plan, implement, evaluate cycle. Once you decide, you've done a course, you decide what it is you want to work on, and then you go through this development cycle. And then you could come back to the surveys to see if anything's changed. Um, so I'm not sure. I've, I've almost kind of forgotten my train of thought there and what your question was, Darren. Um, which I, yeah, so, I so we've got some structure and suggestions there. But yeah. I think the honest answer is that we don't actually know yeah. which of those will be the the most effective and it, it'll probably vary according to different contexts different schools different um uh you know uh, departments or other groups within schools and so on there, there may be different ways that people configure this so i think in many ways allowing uh different schools to try out different things and try and learn what is the best way you know so we've got some suggestions i think that broadly the suggested trajectory as jamie said is that you you do a survey if you if you want to do it if you don't want to do it you don't have to um, then and then perhaps choose one of the elements. So I think it's um, one of the mistakes we make in thinking about professional learning is trying to do too much, and so we end up skating. I mean, that'll be my main criticism. I think of things like the early career framework. You know, there's there's kind of everything a teacher needs to know, and you've got to get through the whole thing in two years. I mean, you're just going to have a week on it each thing that really is, should take you six months to learn that thing. So um, so ours is kind of the opposite end of that. We say, well, pick one element and work on that one element um, probably for six months, maybe for nine months or a year or more, but certainly until you get to the point where you, you, you've learned some new things, you've tried some new things, and those things are really embedded in your practice. They're not just things you've done once, but you've, you know, you've done them 20 times and you know that that 
would now be part of the thing you do when you're not really thinking about what you do. And once it's got to that point, then, okay, move on, work on something else. And, yeah, that does mean that it's going to take you longer. You know, even if you do one of those a year, it's going to be 17 years to do all of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is it, it does take time to build expertise. Yeah. And it takes concentrated, deliberate learning and uh, deliberate practice. That's the model that, that we use. Um, so um, we'll see. You know, we might learn empirically that teachers who spend a, a, a month on one thing and then move on to another progress more quickly and become better quicker than teachers who spend six months on one thing. Let's say if we learn that, we'll share that knowledge mm. and we'll give a clear recommendation to everybody, you know, don't spend six months because it's it's too long. but at the moment, I think six months is probably about right, actually. Brilliant. Um, and it's, although it might have been a, a little bit jokey there about the 17 years, but I suppose it takes, a, it takes a lifetime to master teaching. It's probably never something that you never actually fully master. So although that was a bit tongue-in-cheek, yeah. there is some, some truth to that. So can I then ask you then, so you've, you've spoken about the student surveys um, and then you mentioned focusing on, on one of the dimensions or an element within the, the dimension. How do people access learning on that? Is there, is there a learning platform that teachers can go to and um, what's involved yeah. in that? It's just like, um, yeah, yeah, a school has an account and then every single individual teacher has an account as well because um, well, the student survey results, as Rob mentioned, are, are, are private, they're confidential. So everybody needs to have their own account and everyone might be choosing to work on on different things so there's just a platform there where you can if you choose to do the surveys you can um, set up your class class um, 7b whatever it is however many students there are and you can create a survey for uh, dimension uh, uh, maximizing opportunity to learn or, or a particular element within that one and you generate the survey for your class um, and that's um a link that you can send out or you can, and students can, uh, older students can, can read the questions and, and respond. For younger students, we've got uh, videos of the questions. So again, that's how the surveys sort of work in a bit more detail. That's what's in the platform, generate the surveys. There's a section on pathway. So you, you then decide, um, well, uh, you can decide to do the survey or not. You can then choose your element of focus. And it, the pathways are a, a way of structuring, documenting, um, your journey in terms of improvement and goals. You, you set your goal, um, you go and do your course, whatever it might be that you want to, to do to improve in that area. And then you you set your development goal. What is the thing that, what is the strategy that I want to, to kind of implement in my classroom? Who am I going to do it with? And so it's about making proper plans and kind of, it just helps you to commit to whatever it is that, that you're doing. You know, it's it's all housed there within this platform. What else is there? The surveys, the courses are accessed there. Um, even at school level, a school can set a development goal for every teacher in the whole school, and that's a shared development goal, but then teachers can set their own development goal as well. So you can do school-wide priorities and individual priorities as well. Right, so you said there um, you can choose your goal and, and then work through some tasks. So what kind of tasks are there there? Is it, is it all online? Is it is there a time commitment involved? I mean, the teachers, I mean, Rob, you alluded to earlier about taking six months for, for something. Is it an hour a week, um, five hours yeah. a week? What's the commitment there for staff? And um, how do they document their learning through over the time? Well, we've got different types of courses. So there's some leader level programs. So things like the assessment lead program, the science of learning program, that typically takes two to three terms with a minimum of two people working together. And they might, they, we, we structure and sequence um collaboration in those programs for leaders where there might be 14 meetings that they have to do and we set activities discussion points whatever it is depending where they're at at the program and so that might be they might get through that in two to three terms about an hour and a half per week or something like that a teacher course of about eight weeks again about an hour an hour and a half a week um but at the end of the eight weeks it's just taking you to the point of what am I going to work on? So I've looked at all the principles, the evidence base for um, explaining its importance to learning. I've looked at some of the strategies that we can employ and how you might do that. You then work through to the later stages of the course where we've looked at hypothetical situations where you would recommend a strategy and that you've learned about for this hypothetical situation. And then you start to think about, well, okay, in my own context, what strategies might I want to implement? 
And then that takes you to the point of, right, I've got a plan. I'm going to go implement it. Then I'm going to go evaluate it. Um, and that development cycle, as Rob says, you know, you, you, we're not prescribing how long that takes. How long does it take? How's it going to go with your class, Darren, versus my class or versus Rob's class? We just need to kind of go at our own pace for that, I think. Brilliant. So then with the with the kind of the learning tasks and, and so on, do, are, are you going to update them over time? I mean, are they going to be set in stone or will they continually be updated as you, as you learn more from, from teachers using the programmes? Um, so the, the, the kind of the learning tasks, how we, do you mean how we kind of structure the, the content yes. of the learning? So or if, I'm, they, if, I, if I'm learning for an hour, an hour and a half, what, what am I going to be seeing and what am I going to be doing? And is that going to be updated over time as you learn more? Yeah, yeah, sure. We definitely. I mean, some of some of the interesting thing is some of the research on kind of some of these areas still stands the test of time and has been around for twenty years. Some of the stuff on on assessment and really it's about well, how do we enable teachers to kind of um, understand this and its importance of learning and 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 what are the strategies? What does the, how does that manifest itself in the classroom? And so the research itself, in terms of what people should be focused on and, and learning the principles doesn't change all that much. I don't think Rob, um, no. but uh, enabling teachers to do it, we always can get better at that. And what are the kinds of tasks and activities? Yes, we can, we can learn from that. I think it's, I think. it's a feature of the whole thing that um, it's, it's very much responsive to what we learn as we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the things I think I've learned about lots of different attempts to try and create things for for teachers and for schools is that you can sit at your desk, you can have the best, what you think is the best idea uh, in the world. You, you can know all about the research. You can try something and it just doesn't work because it comes up against the reality of uh, the kind of constraints of school life or what teachers are willing to do, or, you know, even things like the amount of time, because, um, you know, when you, when you sit back and you say, well, it's an hour a week, it just, that feels on one level, like, well, that's nothing, is it? An hour a week. I mean, you know, the professional learning is one of the most important things that a teacher could be doing, arguably, with their time. It's very hard when you look at what most teachers actually do do with their time. Um, you know, look at the research on marking, for example, about um, how much impact that has, mostly none, as far as we know. And yet teachers will spend hours and hours and hours, most teachers. So if we can only persuade them to just swap a little bit of that, keep, you know, not stop marking, just do one hour less a week of it um, and find an hour a week to do professional learning. And yet that's actually one of the hardest parts about selling this to teachers is, the, you know, they hear, oh, I've got to do an hour a week of study. And they think, well, there's no way we can do that, um, which part of me just feels a bit baffled by but on the other hand, I do understand that that is how teachers think about it. So we have to create things that people can, you know, do within those constraints. That's the kind of thing. And we'll only do that by learning when we we put something out there and people try it and they give us good feedback. You know, so when we talk about feedback being really valuable for learning, we don't just mean giving feedback to teachers. We mean getting feedback about this thing we've created and learning how to make it work better. Because we absolutely know that although we've done everything we can to make this as good as possible, it's in line with all the best evidence, it's in line with all the um, behavioural science about how people, um, you know, things like making commitments and having goals and um, making things easy for people and all of that stuff, all of that's in the design because we know about that stuff, but it, we still know that the first iteration of it we put out is not is not going to be as good as it can be. It may not even work very well. And what's crucial isn't the first thing you put out. What's crucial is how you learn from that first thing and what, what doesn't go as well as you might have hoped from that first thing that you then turn into a second thing that's slightly better and a third thing that's even better. So I think that learning is absolutely built in. I think um, what Jamie was saying about the, you know, the courses are really mostly at the level of, of theory and principle, if you like. So I think to understand to, to really improve your practice in, let's say, feedback, because that's the example that I, I keep using today, you do need to understand what feedback is, how it works, how do, you know, how do students learn um, you know, a bit about the, the science of learning, if you like. Um, but that's not enough. It's not enough just to know that theory. You have to connect that with what you're actually then doing in class with those youngsters on a daily basis. And you also need to learn the specific skills. So I might know that, um, 
you know, certain kinds of feedback should be given straight away and other kinds of feedback should be delayed or whatever the, you know, the research tells me. But that doesn't mean that when I'm in a classroom situation, I'm going to do that because it just goes out of my head and I just do what's instinctive. So that, that, that level of skill, if you like, you know, it's a bit like, again, the, the golf swing or whatever. I might know what it's supposed to look like. That doesn't mean I can actually do it. Right. Thank you. Um Got two more questions for you, if I may, before we move into my quick fire round. Um, so, is there any f- kind of feedback you've received immediately from schools and teachers that are using the platform and from their teachers' learning and from the student surveys that um, really show that what the what the aims of the platform are are? I'll reword that. I don't know how. Um, I you know what I mean. The um, <laughs> The yeah, as yeah. A feedback from schools and, and uh, teachers now that shows that it's making a real difference to their teaching practice and the learning of their students. So the answer that you'd love to give and kind of, you know, if you were just thinking about trying to sell a product is, yes, we do, Darren. But, uh, you know, we quite honestly don't know. This is a, a long term sustained approach to professional learning. All we've got is what Rob would probably call poor proxies. Um you know, we we have some indicators that people so far like the yeah, materials we know they like it. and and the way that we go about kind of presenting it and structuring the whole thing. Um, we know really that, that they like that kind of commonality that people are kind of. Um, we have a foundation course in the program, and we we describe the model for great teaching and an evidence based approach to professional learning and the the basics for the science of learning. And even just doing that as a team all together is is you know starting conversations which are just nice that's all they are they're warm and fuzzy and nice so far we've got nothing more than that right now i think yeah i think i mean it's a good start you know it's yeah if people like it and if they don't like it so it's good to know they like it i think um another positive i think is people saying oh well i i feel as though i've learned something or you know this has told me something i didn't already know or it's made me think differently about yeah. um, stuff that i thought i kind of had sorted so for me, that feels like a, a you know a not not completely poor proxy, a, a moderately <laughs> moderately. Maybe I'm going. Maybe I'm being too Rob Co about this, not and now Rob Co is actually kind of reining me back a little bit. But it, we've got a very strong logic model that we started from. Yeah, uh, no, we have. Well, but uh, you know, do we have good, really robust evidence that, that this is actually help benefiting students? You know, that's the end of the day. It's not whether yeah. teachers like it or not. Uh, it's not even whether teachers use it or not. It's whether we can uh, stack up some convincing evidence that uh, youngsters, children and young people have learned more and had better lives because their teachers have had access to this. And at the end of this, we will have that evidence. You know, the evidence might be that it hasn't, but uh, we will have the truth, if you like, um, further down the road about whether um, whether this has actually, you know, done what we need it to do. And, um, you know, and how we can make it do that even more. It's it's never a kind of binary, does it or not? It's always a, how can we make it absolutely as good as possible? Certainly. And, and the funny thing that with a lots in education is almost anything that we do has mm. some sort some sort of impact. But I think going back to what you said there, Jamie, about staff talking about it, I think some, something that often lacks in a school is teachers all having the same language, terminology. Um, and the same body of knowledge um, because you all come from different teacher training institutions and so on. So I think ha- using something that combines yeah. and gives everyone that sh- same body of knowledge, it means when they say, like, like you mentioned differentiation, Rob, mm. I've done an exercise in the past couple of years where I got every member of staff to write down what it means to them. Okay. And out of <laughs> 78 staff, you had 78 different meanings. Yeah. So then trying to drill down and, and share that. So I think it's that's a, something that's really important for schools yeah. and, and the teachers in the school to be talking about the same things yeah. and have the same things in their mind when they're doing so. My final question to you then is if a school leader in charge of professional development is, is listening and would like to get involved or a teacher's listening and wants to to bring it forward to their, to their um, head teacher, how can they get involved with the project and where can they go to find out a little bit more? Yeah, well, um, the, the website, the evidence-based.education website. Um, now, really, we, we used to have various different training programs. You go onto our website now, it's all just about the Great Teaching Toolkit um, and, and that framework for professional learning, the curriculum for professional learning that 
is the anchor point. That model for great teaching is at the heart of what we've got going on. And yeah, we that's the place to go. We've got a video describing the whole thing in, in a few minutes. You can read uh, a page about each course. You can read summaries, but the website's the place to go. Well, samples as well. So I'm a, I'm oh, a, yeah. I never buy anything without wanting to kind of try it first. Um, and even then I'm reluctant to buy stuff. So I think, you know, it, it, because it's a quite a new thing, it's quite an unusual thing, I think, for the way how people have thought about CPD. So I think it's really important to to have a look at it, you know, have a look at the courses, have a look at the, um, the you know, the surveys and the stuff that's there and, and get your head around, could this work for us? Yeah, uh, yeah. And then do it. You can sample it, yeah. The samples available through the website. Can you give us that? Can you please just provide us with a wee address for the for the website? Yes, it's evidence based dot education, Brilliant. which Thanks. sounds odd. It's like the dot education is like dot com, evidence based dot education. Yeah, Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to go on to my quick fire round, but before I do so, um, if any listener wants to contact you directly to ask any questions or or follow you on social media, could you point them to um, a social media platform or um, an address that they can do so to contact you? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, so on Twitter, we're at evidence in edu and anyone's free to email me directly, uh, jamie at evidencebased.education. Be happy to chat to anyone. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So we're now going to move on to my quick fire round, if you're both up for that. Although a lot of guests aren't very quick at this, but (laughs) I'd encourage you to try your best. Um, So I've got three questions that I ask every guest. So how we'd like to do that is I'm going to ask a question and then if Jamie could ask you to go first Mm -hmm. and then I'll follow that up and Rob, if you could just answer the same question. Um, My answers are likely to be shameful in comparison easier, to Rob's. I've, I've heard the answer already. Never, oh, never, never. So if you're both right, let's, let's just go for it. So question one is, what are you reading currently? So this isn't professional at all. I've just literally put down uh, Bob Mortimer's autobiography, uh, And Away, which is wonderfully daft and just a thoroughly nice read. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and uh, Rob? Um, yeah, I'm reading, well, um, um, for non, non-work, I'm reading uh, Daphne du Maurier's My Cousin Rachel. It's actually our family, we have got to just set up a family book group where we're all going to read the same book and then chat about it. And this is the one we've chosen. So literally just started reading that. And in a few weeks, we'll have all read it and we'll say what we think. I mean, professionally, I'm reading, you know, hundreds of different things. It's, it's never ending. Lots, lots of words read per day, but thank you. I love that idea of a family book group. So thanks so much for letting us in that and sharing that. My second question to you is, what is your current professional development focus? This is a good question. I think mine is almost always trying to distill whatever it is Rob has come up with into um, kind of a sound bite that you can, put, you can put in a tweet or on a website because it starts with something that's like pages and pages of documentation. Right. 50 really pages. Conversations. Yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. that's always it. Is it trying to distill what it is that Rob has been doing? Yeah. So many things. I mean, I, I just, I think you, you spend your whole life learning new things, actually. Um, I've been wrestling with a whole lot of quite sort of complex statistical models for estimating uh, teachers' impact on learning outcomes and analysing these student surveys, for example, which is um, new new stats for me to get my head around, and that's always well. It's it's sort of painful but joyful in the same uh, the same moment. <laughs> I love that painful but joyful. Thank you so much. And uh, finally, um, what do you love most about being a teacher or teaching? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a I'm a fraud here. Um, I said to you at the start, Darren, um, before we went uh, and recorded, my wife's a teacher, my mother-in-law's a teacher, my brother's a teacher, my sister-in-law's a teacher. I, I am not a teacher. I, I I couldn't do it. I don't think, and I've always known I couldn't do it because it's probably the hardest job in the world. And I was just savvy enough, maybe, to kind of <laughs> to, to know that I haven't got the skills there. But uh, um, I am a football coach at the weekends, and um, I have a bunch of under tens, and I think. Oh, this is going to sound really, really soppy and cheesy. Just building the relationships is is probably my favourite thing about that. 
and then the journey that you go on that and just sort of being in it together really um we've got a cup final uh, a quarter uh what we yeah quarter final on sunday we're playing a team three divisions above us it's going to be really <laughs> bloody hard but you know what we've already beaten a couple of teams that were two divisions above us and we're just going to give it the best go and we're all doing it together and that's 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 what i love about that oh, kind of thing i suppose brilliant good luck for that and yeah go for it it's always back the underdog you can do it yeah cup upset Thank you. And yourself, Rob, what do you love most about? Yeah, well, again, um, so I was a, a school teacher and then obviously in the university, I was um, a different kind of teaching. It was a, a real shock, actually, when I first came out of the classroom and, and really missed that that social contact of just kids all around you all the time um, and still miss that. Actually, And then my current job, I don't really do teaching now. I mean, I do lots of um, uh, training events and that kind of thing. Um, I think the thing that really is a bit similar to Jamie in a way, it's, um, I mean, yes, it is about the relationships, but it, it's that special feeling when um, you've helped somebody with something that they thought they couldn't do, that they really struggled with. And, and it's been really painful, actually, for them, yeah. often, but they've they've had some kind of grittiness or just uh, for whatever reason, they haven't given yeah. up. And then they've they've had a breakthrough. And it's just you don't need that to happen every day. Yeah, but, but just occasionally, if you get that, then all the other uh, bad stuff that you yeah. also do sometimes get is is kind of washed away, and you think, yeah, this is worth it. Um, yeah, very special yeah. feeling. I mean, it's it's almost like a drug. I think actually, it's quite hard to if you've been a teacher and you've experienced that, and you ever then go on to do something else. I think you're always going to uh, have a part of you that wants to get get back on the on the substance. <laughs> certainly what a wonderful way to close thank you so much both uh, we've come to the end now so I'd like to thank you both um, Rob and Jamie for coming on the Becoming Educated podcast I've enjoyed my hour and a bit with you so thank you so so much yeah it's been a pleasure thank you thank you Darren this episode of Becoming Educated has been supported by Uplearn Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that helps schools improve student grades and helps reduce teacher workloads. Teachers at over 150 schools, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and Art Schools, use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning, consolidation of classroom material and as a flip learning tool. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote Becoming Educated for 10% off. That's uplearn.co.uk U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK Thank you so much for listening to Becoming Educated. Before you go, can I ask for a few things that will only take a minute? I'd love it if you could review the podcast wherever you are listening from to get each episode into more ears. If you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash DN Leslie. And finally, to keep the conversation going, please use the hashtag becomingeducated and tag me on Twitter at DN Leslie. I'll be back soon with more insights and knowledge from the greatest profession on earth. <laughs>